Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Genesis 6, commencing at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And God has promised to bless the reading of his word. just for a moment. Father, we come that we might hear your voice speaking to our lives. And we pray, Father, that it is your voice we hear. Open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, how we often get inspired by the stories of those who are the underdogs, the least likely to become successful, who are less likely to be successful, end up accomplishing quite great things. We mentioned how in some of the movies we have this similar theme of very little known persons who no one thought could add up to anything but end up exceeding all expectations and doing things that we say that's kind of incredible. As I mentioned then... 
I think deep down inside of us, many of us wonder even if for a moment that God could do something like that with us. But reality sets in. We often feel inadequate. And the truth is, all of us here feel inadequate in some kind of areas in our lives. Maybe inadequate in terms of our appearance, inadequate to do something uh, great professionally or academically or financially or relationally or historically, or spiritually inadequate. For example, at times when we hear someone else pray and we say, look, I couldn't pray like that. Now, I don't know where it is that you feel particularly inadequate. But I know that this series that we're doing over these few weeks is all about us who feel that we're just ordinary people who are not kind of adequate to do the great things that God has done through other people's lives in the past. But our God... Our God specialises in using the ordinary. In using ordinary, everyday people. And he uses families and he uses regular churches. And this series is for any one of us who believe deep down that we are created for something eternal. Something that lasts something more, something that really matters. And today I want us to look again at one of those stories from the Scriptures, a character whom, even if you're not familiar with the Scriptures, you're probably familiar with Noah. What do you do when you sense God is asking you to do something that doesn't make but it actually sounds quite crazy. And you have to let go like a trapeze artist who in mid-air, without a safety harness, and you have nothing but faith that God is going to be there to catch you. Well, Noah shows us how. So Noah's story is told in Genesis 6, 7 and 8. A few chapters earlier, we read how God created man and woman to work, walk with him and to be able to enjoy a close relationship with God. And he instills within them the free will to love him as he loves them. Because love without freedom to choose to love really isn't love. Everything's rolling along fantastically until Adam and Eve choose to use their freedom to disobey God. And that act begins a freefall of all kinds of dark and destructive behaviour that absolutely breaks God's heart. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, archaeologists estimate there's probably about a million people living in the world at that time. 
But Noah is literally one in a million. And Genesis 6, 5 to 7 says that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and he put them on the, that he put them on the earth and it broke his heart. And the Lord says, I'll wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, all the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. And just like parents, who sometimes have a rebellious child, God watches as the people who he created chose to walk away from him. And it tells us that it broke God's heart. The next verse says, but Noah. That transitional phrase, thank God for traditional uh, transitional phrases in the scriptures. But Noah found favour with the Lord. And the word favour literally means an extraordinary person giving an ordinary person a second chance. Why, we've heard that story this morning, haven't we? Now Noah was a guy that was in line of, if you like, godly guys. His dad was a man by the name of Lamech. His grandfather, Methuselah, was the oldest man who lived in history. His granddad was Enoch, who is simply described in the Bible as someone who walked with God. So he had a rich heritage. And now it is how Noah is described there in verse 9, that this is the account of Noah and his family. And Noah had three sons, Shem and Ham and Jephthah. And we're told that Noah was a righteous man and the only blameless person on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Wouldn't that be great to be described of by others? That he walks with God. That she walks with God. And blameless didn't mean that he was perfect. No one is. But he just tried to walk in fellowship with his God. So what do we learn from Noah's story? A story that most of us are fairly familiar with. What do you do when you sense that God is saying to you to take a step that looks crazy, not only to others, but to you? Well, there are three things I want to mention this morning. The first, number one is that you obey God even when you don't understand. Might have a little bit weird, I'm about to say, but at this point of the story, Noah's, Noah's 500 years old, probably going through a midlife crisis. And God says to him, here in chapter 6, I want you to build a boat to save you and your family because it's going to flood. Now, from a human perspective, that was ludicrous. You see, Noah lived 
over 800 kilometres from the nearest body of water to the Mediterranean Sea. How's he going to get a boat there? And it's possible that Noah had never seen rain before because Genesis tells us that the way the earth was watered in the early days was through a mist that came up through the caverns in the ground. It was a kind of like, uh, like dew in the morning. The whole atmosphere and the ecosystem was different because it had never rained. In fact, some scientists think that that's the reason why people actually live so much longer in those days. Well, God gives specific instructions to Noah to build a boat, a really big boat commonly known as the Ark, which translated actually means powerless. And God gives him the material list. Boats to be made of, of gopher wood or cypress. It was to be tarred inside and out. It was to be 140 metres long, about one and a half football field. In actual fact, it's exactly double the size of this sports centre with the blue the part with the, the blue floor here, which is just over 70 metres, the boat was 140 metres. It was to be 23 metres wide. It's the same width as the centre. It was to be 14 metres high. That's 4 metres higher than the highest point of our ceiling. And it was to have a lower and a middle and an upper deck. Now you do your maths and all that. That'll give you an idea of the size. It was a massive floating palace. It was the equivalent of about 522 railway box cars. It could have carried the equivalent of 125,000 live sheep. Most sheep, live sheep carriers today hold between 30 to 40,000, although there are one or two that can carry up to 130,000 sheep. And while the Bible isn't clear about the exact shape, it's unlikely to be similar to the many creations or pictures we see in kids' books. See, the ark didn't need to travel anywhere, but it needed to float. It needed to be a stable shape. I understand that the best shape that would have been, been more of a rectangular shape with the ends only slightly curved to manage any large waves. And God says, I want you to build this boat. And then I want you and your family to get into the boat with two of every kind of living animal. And then I'm going to cleanse this world of its corruption and its violence and its depravity and sin with a flood. And I'm going to start all over again with a fresh beginning. It all seemed crazy, ludicrous. But that is exactly what Noah does, even though it would not have made sense. In fact, in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says it was by faith 
that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. And that's why it was so crazy because no one had ever seen this happen before. And I want you to note that the words faith and obeyed because they go together. Imagine this. What if God came to you one day and said, you know, I don't like the way that the world is going and I'm just going to flood it and I'm going to start all over again just with you and your family. So I want you to build a ship and I'm going to bring in all the animals, okay? Would you believe God? You think you'd have some doubts, some questions? Well, Noah doesn't show any doubt here. He doesn't complain, he doesn't argue, he doesn't delay. He gets his boys, he goes down to Bunnings, he gets the timber, and he goes at it. Even though it doesn't make sense. So let me ask you, do we have the guts? Do we have the fortitude, the faith, to obey God even when we don't understand? What about when God says, you know that personal enemy over there who stabbed you in the back and who betrayed you? I want you to love them. I want you to pray for her. I want you to forgive him. Doesn't make sense. What about when God says, you know all those issues that you're worried about, about what's going to happen tomorrow, about how you're going to pay that bill and you don't know where the money's going to come from, when the diagnosis isn't all that great, I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. What if you're single? And God says, I don't want you to get involved with that person who doesn't share your spiritual convictions because I want you to share the most important thing in your life with the most important person in your life. What about when God says, you've sincerely put your faith in Jesus Christ, my son, who died upon a cross and rose from the dead, so I want you to take the step of obeying me through the baptisms of water. But Oh, your hair might get messed up. You see, now obey God, even though it didn't make sense. And note how long it takes for all this to unfold. It's 120 years. Now, if I was Noah and I got round to 75 years of building the ark with no rain, I think I might have started to have some doubts about whether this was going to really happen, wouldn't you? I'm sure that there would have been days when he thought, I don't want to build this ark anymore. I'm tired. I've worked on this for 75 years. I'll just take my gold watch and go. See, have we learnt yet that God's timing isn't always the same as our timing? 
Because we want things right now, don't we? We expect to get it right now. I know after 46 years of marriage, occasionally when Judy and I say to the other, I'll be there or I'll be ready in 10 minutes, but my timing isn't always the same as her timing. <laughs> Noah waited for 120 years. Philip Yancey writes of Noah, and I love this quote, faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. I imagine at times that Noah would have had his doubts, that he would have had his share of sleepless nights, but by faith Noah obeyed God. And even when God warned him about things that had never happened before and things that he didn't understand, he still obeyed. Number two, you ignore the detractors and you just keep moving forward. You know, frequently when you walk by faith and you obey God, people will think you're nutty. Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah took for 120 years building a boat, not just a little boat, and there isn't a cloud in the sky and they're in the middle of the desert. And his three sons, Shem, Ham and Jephthah, helping their dad, hammering and soaring. Even imagine them whispering to one another, hey, I think dad's losing it. He's 500 years old. And he's blowing our inheritance on a cruise ship. He must be having signs of dementia and maybe we need to get him checked out. Friends, I, if we want to live a life where God takes unlikely persons and achieves amazing things, we need to be prepared to be criticised. We need to be prepared to be misunderstood and maybe even seen as being crazy. Because sometimes from time to time you will feel like that when you respond to God in ways that people do not understand. You know, some people give up promising careers to work in missions or in underdeveloped countries and colleagues think they're crazy. There are others who give generous amounts of money to God's work and their accountants think they're loony. Many people give up their Sundays and other days to be part of the life and the ministry of the church and volunteering in all kinds of service to others while neighbours just can't understand why you would give up your day off instead of going out and playing golf or out on the water or in the pool. Maybe there are some of you who are thinking about some service for God or even being baptised and you worry about what will my family think or what will my friends think at work or at, or at school if they hear about it. It isn't always acceptable these days to say that I'm a follower of Jesus but Noah type people ignore the detractors and they just keep moving forward. It will only be then that God will bless us individually and as a church.
Jesus can transform hundreds. In fact, thousands of lives. If we are prepared to take steps of faith in obedience to our God, even when at times it sounds crazy. And there will always be the critics. You hear the story of the grandfather who took his grandson to town on a donkey. The people looked and they criticised. Look at that selfish little boy riding on the donkey while the old man walks. So they changed positions. So another person criticised by saying, look at that old man riding on the donkey or making that little boy walk. So they both got off. And someone else criticises, look at those stupid people, they've got a donkey. <laughs> They're not even using it. So they both, so the last time, oh, so, so they both got on. And the people criticised them by saying, look at those two people abusing that donkey. And the last time anybody saw them, that little boy and that old man, they were attempting to carry the donkey along the road. You can expect some critics. If you choose to be individual or to be a church that is prepared to courageously dream great dreams for God. And it takes his hand so that we can help our friends and our neighbour and our community and our world to find Jesus Christ. That is what ought to be our mission. That's what ought to be our dream. And with God's help and through his Holy Spirit, we should not allow the gates of hell to go against it. What is it that God is calling you to do? What you do, what you do when you sense that God has asked you to take a step that looks crazy? even when feeling inadequate. People like Noah obey God even when they don't understand. Ignore the detractors and keep moving forward. And number three, you maximise the opportunities while the doors are still open. You see, God gives each of us, God gives us strategic opportunities in your lifetime to walk with him, to follow him, to go on an adventure of faith with him. But note that the doors do not always open, remain open forever. After 120 years of building that boat, after going through all the ridicule and all the doubt and all the questions and all the waiting, Genesis 7-1 says, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with your family. And the word translated go here is the original Hebrew word, uh, Language means come. The door to the ark is open. The door to safety is open. And God gives his personal invitation and he says, come. And especially I like how he says, come with your whole family. Because in the New Testament, 
we see families coming to follow Jesus. For example, in Acts 16, we read the Philippian jailer believed and all his household believed and immediately he and his family were baptised even though it was in the middle of the night. God says, come. And Noah and his entire family walk through the door while the door is open. And I heard a sermon once that called God's favourite word. particular word is used over 1100 times in the Old Testament Jesus says in Revelation whoever is thirsty let him come now this gracious invitation from God had been given to the world for 120 years and while Noah built the ark he just lovingly pleaded with people because Noah understood the stakes and what this could mean for his neighbours. But in 120 years, no one ever responded. I wonder what it was like to preach for 120 years and not see one respond. And then miraculously, God brings all the animals on board two by two to join Noah and his family. And Noah and his family and animals get on the board on the on board and the door closes. Doesn't rain the first day, nor the second, nor the third, nor the sixth. And everyone is still laughing at Noah and his family. But on the sixth night the people notice that the sky is getting darker and the wind is rising, and at midnight the thunder and the lightning and the rain begin. Not just drops, not just showers, but sheets of water. <clears throat> Before morning, it is ankle deep. And the next day, it is knee deep. And the following day, it is waist high. And we see the ark be starting to float and the door of opportunity after 120 years had been shut. And for 40 days and 40 nights, it rains. And when it is finished, the world is strangely silent. They had 120 years to walk through that open door. 120 years to walk in God's direction. God was patient, but one day the door closes and they miss their opportunity. And if Noah was giving his thoughts on those events, what do you think he might say? Well, I've got to believe that he would speak of the rawness of it. The fact that real people died, friends, relatives, neighbours, because they didn't come through the door when they had the opportunity, the invitation to come. In the New Testament, Jesus uses the story of Noah as a warning of the day he will return. He says in Luke 17, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the floods came and destroyed them all. Because sometimes, friends, we can wait too long. 
Sometimes the door will close quicker than we think. And I believe that God is looking for people today who will walk through the door of grace. The door is still open. And I believe that God is looking today for some knowers, even though you mightn't understand about it all right now. Those who will ignore the detractors and will maximise the opportunities while the door is still open. For some of you, that open door, that opportunity may be to put your faith in Jesus, in his direction, asking him to be your leader, your forgiver. For some of you, it may be opportunity to step out and be baptised while the door is open. 1 Peter 3 actually compares baptism to Noah's flood. When long ago, when Jesus waited patiently, God had waited patiently for some of us. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, he needed only a few people, eight in all, to save through water. And this water symbolises baptism. It saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For others of us, it may be a call to come to volunteer in some area of service that may mean that we've got to give something up. For others of us, it may mean that we are called to leave our current role or even location to minister in some new capacity. For others, it may be a step into the unknown or the unexpected to take a risk as a step of faith and obedience to go out on a venture with God. None of us here today are beyond God's grace. God is looking today for some knowers. Even though you mightn't understand it all right now, people who will ignore the detractors and who will maximise the opportunities while the doors are open. Let me pray. Father, your call to each of us is to come. Come and enter into what you are calling us to at your invitation. None of us deserve it, but through your grace, as we come to you, as we open ourselves to what you are calling us to do in faith, that we may step out in obedience, that we know that you can do great things beyond our imagination. Help us, we pray, to come. Amen.